are listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, Power in Us. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because you did what the law could not do. You sent Jesus to die for our sin. And he condemned our sin in the cross. So in Christ, we have no condemnation. And yet, Lord, we feel, many of us this morning, condemned. We feel the weight and the shame of our sin. And so we pray by the power of your spirit, you would awaken us to this truth that we are not condemned in Christ. And we pray that you would rescue us from the thoughts of condemnation. So Father, I pray that your people would receive this word by the spirit. I pray that you would help me to preach it to them. And may I believe what I say. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Life in the Spirit is freedom from the power of sin. This truth struck me afresh in a powerful way in the spring of 2019 when I received a letter of encouragement from an inmate in a state penitentiary. This author of the letter explained to me that he was sentenced to life in prison. 
but that God converted him while he was incarcerated. He then articulated that his prison chaplain made him aware of some theological writings that impacted his life. And he then began to articulate how he and other ethnically diverse Christians in the prison started a multi-ethnic congregation. The letter continued as he praised God for delivering many from their sins through the preaching of the gospel. And he further praised the Lord for giving him the opportunity to grow in his faith as he studied theology and the Bible. There is a great irony, at least in my mind, in this letter. While he was incarcerated, imprisoned because of his sin, he was free because of the power of the Spirit. This story communicates powerfully, I think, the message of our text this morning, which is the Spirit gives freedom from sin's power to all who are in Christ, so that those who are in Christ can walk in step with the Spirit and not in step with the flesh. First, a word about context. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, Paul infers from his remarks in chapter 7. There, he says, the law brings condemnation, but Christ delivers those in Christ from the law's condemnation. It's Romans chapter 8. The bad news is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is that when the law entered into history, Romans 5, it did not make our spiritual condition better. It made it worse. Because once the law entered, we now violate a specifically revealed command. We transgress the Lord. Yes, we sinned. Humanity sinned prior to the law's entrance. But when the law entered into history, sin now becomes transgression. It is as though we stick our fist in God's face when we violate His law. Bad news is we're all dead in Adam. But the goodness of the gospel is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, Paul says that God Himself did what the law could not do by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, to absorb the wrath of God for our sins, and God raised Him from the dead for our justification so that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us as we walk in step with the Spirit and not in step with the flesh. Two truths this morning. Number one, we are not condemned in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here Paul returns to a similar theme that he discusses in chapters 1 through 5, which I've already summarized for you. Because of sin, we all die. 
But now in Christ, he says, we live. We live not because we bootstrap our way out of our spiritual plight. We live not because we're able to perfectly obey God's law. We live because God acted in Christ to save sinners from Adam's transgression. In Romans chapter 5, when sin entered into history and the law comes into history, sin increases. The power of sin, the law increases the power of sin. But when Christ comes, Christ triumphs over the power of sin. So in Christ, we are exonerated. We're not guilty in God's law court. We are secure in Christ, safe in Christ, justified in Christ, delivered from the law's incarceration in Christ. That's what he means by no condemnation. Did you feel that this morning, brothers and sisters? You're not condemned in Christ. There's a question Paul, I think, answers for us. Why not? In verses 2 and 3, he gives us two reasons why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, verse 2, first, because the law of the Spirit of life has freed you from the law of sin and death. Now, a couple points of clarification here before I explain the verse. Paul uses the law, the word law, in different ways in this passage. On the one hand, in Romans 7, he talks about the Mosaic covenant. That's what he means by the law. He means the entire body of Mosaic stipulation, not just the the Ten Commandments, but everything the Lord says from Exodus 20 throughout the book of Deuteronomy. That's the Mosaic covenant. That's what he means by law in Romans 7. But here, when he talks about the law of the Spirit, he's not talking about the law of Moses anymore. Because the law of Moses does not set you free, right? Isn't that what he says in chapter 7? Here by law, he means, the, the, the better way to read it is principle. So let's read it this way. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the principle of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit has freed you, feel that, liberated you, delivered you from the principle of sin and death. In Adam, you die. When the law comes, the law does not help us. It doesn't liberate us. It only exacerbates our condemnation. But in Christ, by the Spirit, we're set free. He gives us a second reason in verse 3. He says, because, or for, verse 3, God has done what the law. Now, that reference to law is, is the law of Moses again. So he switches from Mosaic law to principle, back to Mosaic law. The reason why I think this is right is because he tells you here that the the law was weak. It's not talking about the Spirit. He just said the Spirit sets you free. So the law of of Moses, notice this next line, weakened by the flesh. The law, here's another way to think think of it, the law was impotent. It had no power to save you, nor did God ever give it with that intention. Yes, the law is perfect and holy and good, Romans 7. But the law only promises you life, but it doesn't give you the ability to achieve the life that it promises, right? Drawing from a a preacher who said it this way, the law 
takes you to the edge of the cliff, and it tells you to jump off the cliff, but it doesn't give you the wings to fly. But the gospel takes you to the edge of the cliff, and it tells you, it tells you to jump off the cliff, and it gives you the wings to fly, and the gospel carries you. That's what Paul says here, isn't it? The law was weak through the flesh. It could not do in you what you needed, which was freedom from incarceration. Now, another word here. The word flesh here is also complicated in the passage. Because at times when Paul talks about the flesh, he talks about our human existence. And that word doesn't always carry with it a negative idea. So I'm in my flesh in that I'm a human being right now. That's what I mean by in my flesh. I'm a human. But here he uses the word flesh with the negative idea. Flesh here, think of it this way. Y'all still with me? Now I'm going to get to your practical payoff in a moment. But let me teach for a little bit more, all right? You still with me? Still with me? By flesh, think of it this way, anti-God powers. Anything that's contrary to the Spirit is the flesh. So sin, death, the principalities and powers of the air, behaviors that are contrary to the Spirit, all of that will be flesh. And here's the thing about the flesh in this text. The flesh is personified as a power A master that enslaves you and incarcerates you. And you, as individuals, apart from faith in Christ, and I, as an individual, apart from faith in Christ, I am caught up in imprisonment by the flesh, enslaved to the flesh's powers. The flesh, apart from faith in Jesus, it rules me, it dominates me, it controls me, it enslaves me, and it leads me to final destruction apart from faith in Christ. Are y'all with me? And this is what Paul says here. Here's the good news of the gospel. The flesh was weak. And the law could not deliver us from our bondage to sin. So God did what the law was incapable of doing by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now notice what he's saying here. The law could not help us, could not liberate us from our bondage to sin. So God himself initiated a salvation plan on our behalf. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was born as a Jewish man. He became one of us. He became a human being. Hear this. He was born under the power of sin, yet he conquered it. He was born under the power of the law and perfectly obeyed it. He was born under the principalities and powers of the air, under the anti-God powers, and he defeated them via his cross and his resurrection. So God himself took the initiative, sending his son, knowing that the law could not save because he never gave the law to save, and he provided this great rescue mission for us by means of, notice this, verse 4, condemning sin in Jesus' flesh, in his crucifixion. Did you notice something, by the way? Verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 God condemned sin in Jesus. You notice that? Why will believers stand before God and be counted not guilty? Because God condemned, executed, 
put to death sin in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So in Christ Jesus, I am given by faith. You are given by faith this status of not guilty. No condemnation. Not because we're bootstrapping it, (laughs) but because we are found in union with Christ by faith. Now, in verse 4, Paul is going to tell us the purpose for which he condemns sin in Jesus' flesh. So you notice there in verse 4, he says in the previous verse, God condemns. So I take this purpose statement, this so that statement, or in order that statement, I connect it back with he condemns. So I'm going to read it this way. God condemns sin in Jesus' flesh by means of Jesus' penal substitutionary death on the cross where Jesus died for my sin to satisfy God's wrath. God did that, here it is, verse 4, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, this is a powerful statement. Notice what he does not say. He does not say that God dealt with sin So therefore, because Jesus perfectly obeyed the law and God dealt with sin, we therefore don't have to obey. Notice he says that God's execution of sin in the cross of Jesus results in, verse 4, the law's righteous requirement being fulfilled in us as we're walking in step with the Spirit. The righteous requirement of the law, you know what it is? It's perfect obedience. But we can't perfectly obey. But Jesus perfectly obeyed for us. So here's what Paul is saying. Because you have the Spirit living in you, and because you're trusting in Jesus Christ by faith, God's perfect righteousness is being realized and fulfilled in you as you obey. Because of what God has done for you in Jesus when you walk in step with the Spirit. If you reduce the law to two things, it's this, loving God and loving neighbor. So then, when Jesus obeys the law for us and dies for our sin and God judges sin in Jesus, he is fulfilling the law's requirement in us as we are walking in obedience to the gospel by loving God and loving neighbor in the Spirit by the power of the Spirit. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. Galatians chapter 5 And Romans chapter 13, both say, this is how you fulfill the whole law, by loving your neighbor as as yourself. You only do that in Christ by the Spirit. As I get older, I do love life more and more. I try to take care of myself. I try to sleep. I document and log how many hours I sleep a night. I chronicle how many calories I eat a day. I do everything I can in my human effort to preserve my life as best as I can. But as I get older, I also look forward to death. And don't worry. I don't need an intervention. You biblical counseling people, don't worry. I don't have idols in my heart. I'm good. But as I get older, I look forward to death because of the promise of resurrection and freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the death of loved ones. Freedom from anxieties and worries 
Freedom from war and injustice. Freedom from disappointment. Freedom from unknown and known uncertainties. Freedom from death. Because one day I will be perfectly free from sin and its power in death, in Christ. But here's the good news. That future resurrection, Paul is saying here, has broken into this present evil age right now by the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit. Not perfectly, but you are alive right now in Christ if you have the Spirit living within you. The law kills, Paul says, but the Spirit gives life. So he goes on and says, for example, in verse, verses 5 through 7, he explains this truth. In verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh, according to the power of sin, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. What are the things of the flesh? The things of the flesh are, are the things that are contrary to the Spirit. Here are a few examples. Hate. Sexual sin. Sorcery. Division. Faction. Gossip, slander, and things like these. Here are examples of the mind of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. Against these things, Paul says in Galatians 5, there is no law. So, so those who are in the, in the flesh, they don't do the things of the Spirit. They don't set their mind, their thinking their affections, their desires on the things of the Spirit. They set their mind on the thing, things of the flesh, on the power of sin. But those, to the contrary, who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. No, we're not perfect if we're in the, in the Spirit, but we're obedient. Which means when we sin against someone... We confess to God, and we confess it to the person against whom we sin, and we ask for forgiveness. That's what it means to have your mind, in part, set upon the things of the Spirit, as opposed to holding grudges in your heart, hatred in your heart, scheming as to how you can destroy someone's life because of the sin in your heart. That's the things of the, of the flesh, not the Spirit. Now, he further elaborates this truth in verse 7. And eight, he says, the mind of the flesh, the mind dominated by the power of sin, is at enmity against God. Verse seven, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Do you realize this about yourselves? Apart from God's rescue mission, we did not have the ability to please God. We did not. We were rebels alienated from God, haters of God. And we showed our hatred for God by how we lived our lives, which was fundamentally a life lived in disobedience to the gospel. He doesn't say, he doesn't say it's difficult for those who are in the flesh to obey God. He says you can't. Those who are in Christ Jesus, on the other hand, hear this. Those who are in Christ Jesus, we have the supernatural Moral capacity by the Spirit to walk in step with the Spirit. 
Because God in Christ has acted to liberate it, to liberate us. He has resurrected our agency that was enslaved to the power of sin. We are in Christ free to obey God. Free to walk in step with the Spirit. Free to love our enemies. Free to love our neighbors as ourselves. Free to fight against sin by the supernatural, God-given work of the Spirit. Not by means of trying to bootstrap it by obeying the law of Moses. Because, verse 8, those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. Sometimes Christians wrongly say things like, I'm in the flesh. If you think you're in the flesh, then I'm sorry, you're headed to eschatological destruction. Let me translate that. You're headed for God's wrath. Believers are never in the flesh. Oh, yes, we can walk in accordance with the flesh. But believers are always in the Spirit. Why? The Spirit is living in us. Are y'all with me? So there are occasions in my life, and those who are closest to me know this, that there are times where I can walk out of step with the Spirit. And thank God I have people in my life who are close to me who are not annoyed by my weaknesses and overlook my strengths. But they lean into my weaknesses as they're appreciating my strengths and point out some areas where I need to grow in the Spirit. So it's true that believers can, can't we? Believers can walk out of step with the Spirit, but we're not in the flesh. (laughs) Because to be in the flesh means you are a slave to the power of sin. You are incarcerated to the power of sin. But on the contrary, you're not incarcerated to the power of sin. We We are free in Christ by the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit because Jesus' work for us on the cross. Our wheels have been liberated by the Spirit. We have been emancipated by the Spirit, given resurrection life in Christ by the Spirit because Jesus put to death our sin for us in His death on the cross. So then we fulfill We obey God and God's laws fulfilled in us as we're walking in step with the Spirit, in obedience to that gospel that we've received by faith in Christ. So first point, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second point, we have eternal life by the Spirit who lives in us. That's verses 9 through 11. Notice what Paul says here in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh. There's my point. Y'all with me now? Are you with me now? You are not in the flesh. You're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, did you notice a connection here with what he says previously? In verse 4, notice this. In verse 4, Paul says, God's righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in us. And now he says that the Spirit is living in us. You see that connection? The reason why God's laws were fulfilled in us is because the Spirit lives in us. It's God's work in us, which transforms us so that we can walk in step with the Spirit. Further, he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Notice, by the way, he says Spirit of God in verse 9, and now he says Spirit of Christ in verse 9. Whose spirit is it, God's or Christ? Yes. 
Notice the Trinitarian nature of our new life in Jesus. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are working in us to achieve this liberation we have by the Spirit. But if Christ, verse 10, is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's this point. Because Christ is in you, you live. But because of sin, apart from Christ, we all die. Everybody in this room, you know what your final destination is in this world? Some cemetery in town. Unless Jesus comes back first. We're dying daily. Some of y'all looking at me with blank faces. Get a little older if you're younger and you'll feel what I mean. But because of Christ's righteousness, we live. We're dead in Adam. Spiritually dead in Adam. We physically die in Adam. But because of God's saving action in Jesus, because of God's declaration of not guilty, because of God's justification by faith in Christ, we receive life in Christ, future resurrection in Christ, which is broken in right now by the power of the Spirit. So look at verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Just as the Spirit raised Christ from the dead, He's going to raise us from the dead. And He indeed already has by the transformational power of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we are dead because of sin, heading toward eternal destruction, but now in Christ we are alive. So I have two short applications. Here's your practical payoff, all right? One, ask the Spirit for help to live the Christian life. Let's commit ourselves today to ask the Spirit to help us understand to embrace and live in light of the freedom that he has given us in Christ and in light of the freedom he has revealed to us in his word. Some of us here this morning, we have believed the lies that people tell us about ourselves. We should ask the Spirit to help us believe what God believes about us in Christ. And what God believes about us in Christ is that there's no condemnation for us in Christ. Some of you believe you are only as good or as bad as your last failure or your next success. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says in Christ Jesus, there's no more shame and guilt. So you need to lean into that reality by the power of the Spirit, asking the Spirit to transform your thinking from what the world wants you to believe about yourself, maybe what your spouse wants you to believe about yourself, or what your parents may want you to believe about yourself, to what Christ wants you to believe about yourself. Jesus has dealt with our sin problem. He has transformed our lives, and he has made us new created people in Christ who has been forgiven of our sins by the power of the Spirit. Amen? But the devil wants us to believe a lie. He wants us to believe lies about ourselves, and he wants us to die. And I hope he hears me when I say this. The devil is a liar, isn't he? And he's defeated in Jesus. 
That's why he goes, by the way, to and fro on the earth, seeking whom he may devour like a roaring lion. He wants you to believe lies about yourselves, young ladies. The lies that are plastered up on TV screens about what true beauty actually is. He wants you to believe that about yourselves. He doesn't want you to believe what God says about true beauty, how it's found only in his creative power and in his newly created power in Christ. The Spirit gives us freedom to transform our thinking. Now, this also means, however, we need to take intentional steps about reprogramming or toward reprogramming our thinking. If we fill our brains with messages that are contrary to the Spirit, this will stifle our ability to understand what the Spirit is revealing to us. I think this is especially true for teenagers. As your brains are continuing to form and develop, the messages you put in your brain from social media, from TV, from music, will form your thinking. And if they're bad messages, they will greatly hinder your ability to have your mind, your affections, your desires set upon the things of the Spirit. So we need to strategize. Strategies aren't perfect, but they are helpful, aren't they? We need to plan. We need to do things like intentionally create space to read our Bibles. Make space to pray Scripture. Do you pray Scripture? I've been praying this text for me and for y'all all week. The Word of God reveals the mind of God, and if you want to pray in accordance with the Word of God and the mind of God, pray His Word for your life and the lives of other people. You also need to be involved in the life of a local church, regularly sitting under the preaching of the Word of God, being involved in life-on-life encouragement of one another. The Spirit can use these things as means by which we set our minds on the things of the Spirit and walk in step with the Spirit and live in step with the freedom we have in Christ. Now, let me elaborate this point about prayer for a moment. Prayer is hard for me. Reading the Bible is not hard. I get paid to read the Bible. That's my job. But prayer is hard for me. For some of you, Bible study is hard, but prayer is easy. And that's why we need each other, right? To help each other. But here's what I do in my prayer life. I'm not the example, by the way. Trust me. But here's an example of, of, of a way, at least that I do this. I have a calendar, and I've written down on my prayer list seven days a week different things I want to pray for. Some things every day. Some things on specific days. So I try to pray for my family every day. I try to pray for Pastor Jamal and Miss Amber every day for our church every day. I try to pray for the elders every day. I don't always do that. Sometimes I fall short. I miss a day, but I try to do that. But when I pray, I also do this. I'm, I'm confessing specific sins from, uh, from my heart to the Lord that I struggle with. So I, if I struggle, for example, with not able to love my enemies... I bring that to the Lord and I say, Lord, I hate X, not X, Twitter, but X person. (laughs) Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Who who cares? Let's move on. Lord, I hate this person in my own strength, but I know this is wrong. So would you please cultivate in my heart a spirit of love 
And I manifest love for this person whom I want to hate by praying for that person. So one way I'm reprogramming my thinking as it relates to my enemies is, what do I do? I confess that in my own strength, I want to hate those who hate me. But I say, Lord, I know that's wrong. I I know you don't desire this. I desire this. So help me to love. And love is an action, by the way has emotional realities to it, but loving them doesn't mean I feel certain warm and fuzzy things about them. It means I don't retaliate evil for evil. It means that I pray for their lives. I pray for God to give them mercy if they repent and to give them their just desserts if they don't. That's love. Some of you need to reprogram your thinking and pray. Also do this when I pray. What about the moment of weakness, right? We all have moments of weakness, don't we? There are moments when, for example, people tick us off, right? Let me, let me calm down as I tell this part of the sermon. When people tick us off. There are moments in my life where I feel something rising up in me. So in that moment of weakness, what do I do? I, I call out to the Lord, not audibly if the person's in front of me, but, but in my own mind, I, I call out to the Lord, say, Lord, give me, give me love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and compassion and self-control. And Lord, even though I want to lash out, don't let me lash out. And sometimes I walk away from the moment of frustration, get by myself and say, God, help me. Protect me from self-inflicted wounds here, which will take more time to clean up than showing love in this moment. So that's my first application. That's the Spirit to help us. Second application, unbelievers, give your life to Christ. You have no hope of being free apart from Jesus. But you can turn from your sin right now and experience freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean every day is happy and joyful. Because I promise you, that's not my experience. Most of the time. But in those moments of sorrow, there is joy. And there is supernatural experience in pain. That enables you to lean in to the freedom in Christ. So in Christ Jesus, you can be free. You're not going to be perfect here, but you can be free from your sin, free from judgment. So here's the word of the Lord for you. Turn from your sin right now and ask Jesus to save you right now. And he can do it. So brothers and sisters, life in the Spirit is freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.